Hey guys, Bear Grylls here just to say super excited for Charles Thorpe's podcast coming soon. You guys are going to love this. What a great guy he is and so many great stories. So enjoy these and remember above all, never give up. Now I personally believe that there's nothing better than a great adventure, whether it's to another country or into the backyard. It can have an amazing ability to change not just the way that we see the world, but also the way that we see ourselves. That is exactly what you're going to hear about from our incredible guests. On Great Adventures, I'm going to be hanging out with actors, athletes, thought leaders, and of course explorers, some old friends, and some new, to discuss how being adventurous benefited their lives. My name is Charles Thorpe. For over a decade, I've been chasing down epic stories professionally for magazines and television shows, and now I'm bringing those conversations here. In the morning, which is my favourite time at Le Mans, just as the light's just starting to break, so you can really pick out your apexes and stuff. The air's cold, so the engines get the oxygen they need to get that performance. You get a good set of tyres, and you think, right, run a string of really fast laps. That was racing and stunt driver Ben Collins, and it's time for Great Adventures. So let's kick it off. Ben, thanks so much for being on. Great to be here. Such a fan of your driving, man. I know we've been in contact for a little bit, and whenever I go on the IMDB or anything like that, and I check who's doing the badass driving or whatever action scene, it's it's always you, it seems like. The reason that you drive so well in these films is because you're a driver. You've been a driver, a professional driver. When did you first get behind a wheel, and when did you know you wanted to do that professionally? As a kid, I dreamt of being a fighter pilot, and I guess... Maybe everybody does, I don't know. We used to have um, jets occasionally fly across us out in Ojai. And um, in fact, I think once a cruise missile went over by mistake, which oh. at least my parents suggested it was, it was a, a, like a flame coming out the back of it and it, it, it thumped into a mountain. So I really wanted to do that. I was born in England, went back there when I was 10 and um, just was, yeah, just really hooked on that idea. But for whatever reason, it, it couldn't happen. One of my eyes wasn't, um, the medical board said it wasn't right. And um, But I'd by this time spent a lot of time, inverted commas, practicing in any machine I could get hold of to, to make it go as fast as I could. And um, <laughs> I used to slide this, um, we had quad bikes and things like that. So I used to terrorize these farm vehicles and through the course of that I was learning a lot of car control and I was um, I used to try and time myself so I was learning how different driving techniques resulted in different lap times on my little figure of eight course just doing dirt track stuff um, so I was quietly learning my craft from the age of about 12 <laughs> and then um, but the, the first opportunity to get behind a proper car um, besides you know the, the getting past the driving test stuff right commercial um, was like yeah I went to Silverstone to go and have a try out in a single seater mm. and I jumped in the car felt at home immediately and I, I, even before I drove it I just felt this is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and then um, I was quick at the, I had a natural affinity for, for driving until the engine blew up um, but the instructor said look you know definitely you've got what it would take to race and, um, yeah. and my parents helped me get funded to, for, to begin because it's a nightmare to get into that game you've got oh, to pay yeah. tires fuel all that stuff um, and I was away and I was at the sharp end from the beginning but I had to learn how to race with other cars and that's the bit that took the time because um, <laughs> that experience that these other people have been you know taking on from go-karting from the age of six seven eight was all new to me so um, there were a few bruising encounters on the way not to get into the spirituality of it too much what do you think about either your personality or your mindset allowed you to navigate the, the vehicle 
vehicle like that? As an instructor, I've spent years doing, you know, I love um, teaching people and getting them, seeing them get the most out of themselves. Um, everybody is different. There's always a different approach. You get some people are too confident. Some need just a bit of confidence, but there is an innate talent level. And generally speaking, I think sort of one in 10 have a, you know, a, a really high level um, mm. driving potential and you can tap into that. And then, uh, so I guess some people have that balance innately in them, the sense of speed and everything like that. It's a it's a bizarre thing for a, a species that's designed to run yeah. at running speed, walking speed, <laughs> but we do have it in us. So um, I suppose that's part of it. There's a competitive nature, I think, obviously helps. And a level of aggression, I think, you need to have in that kind of sport because there there is a single-minded focus you have to have. And particularly with circuit racing, when you're racing with other people, you've got to have that killer instinct to know when to to attack, when to hold it back, that kind mm. of thing. So there is, it's very psychological. And the amazing part of driving for me is the way that you completely lose all sense of yourself. Once you start really getting deep into the concentration part of it, you know, you, your body's gone. It's, you're just, you know, a brain attached to the four wheels and the, you're just going, it's all a cerebral thing. Mm. No two corners, no two laps are the same. A lot of people think, oh, well, you must get bored. It's like, no, you never get bored because <laughs> the same thing doesn't ever happen twice. The, yeah. the car is organic. The tires are, are changing by the second. And um, your mind somehow is processing this information all the time and it's just an amazing escape and your competitor too sometimes you're competing you're competing against a whole field so it could be one car then it's another car and yeah the people that you're you're trying to overcome that's it and it can be it, there's there's so much you learn about yourself because I was reading a book by Sterling Moss recently and I think he summed it up really well the hardest times to concentrate are either when you're very far ahead in the lead or so far back it feels you know <laughs> hopeless and um, at that point you've just just got to again just compete with yourself just you make it it's got to be a mental exercise where you just try and focus on getting the most out of the car and the psychological part I think does take a longer time to develop you've got to really work at that talking about those circuits and that racing career is there any race in particular that sticks out in your mind as being a, a seminal one as far as who you became as a racer, who you are as a racer, just when you look back at that career, you know, what pops out in your mind? I'm very lucky to have got to race across all different disciplines from single seat racing, the really powerful uh, single seaters like Formula 3000 with the huge wings and big engines. I suppose for me, the pinnacle of my racing was at Le Mans. Um, so I've done four of the 24-hour races and uh, I've only finished half of them. <laughs> so that's, that's typical. Oh, yeah. um, it's such a break of people, the material, and, um, but I got to race in the top category for, for two seasons. Um, so I was racing in a car with 800 horsepower, um, weighed like less than a, a Nissan Micro or a tiny little car, Datsun, and doing 220 miles an hour in this thing um, with a Formula One engine pushing you along, carbon brakes, more downforce than a Formula One car. And, um, and that for me was you know really the pinnacle. And my first race there, it rained for 17 hours out of the 24. Wow. And it was so deep, deep water. During your shift, yeah, for me it was wonderful. I love racing in the rain. Uh, I love that movie that just came out, yeah. Racing in the Rain. Racing and, in the, rain. Um, I, the art of racing in the rain. The art of racing yes. in the rain, exactly. It's a great topic to pick because it, it really you can you know it, it does separate a lot of drivers. There's people who can who are very fast in the dry, but when the rain comes, it's different. It requires a different kind of style, finesse, and um, and feeling. But I have always enjoyed it, and uh, growing up in Britain, that's a that's a good thing because it rains the whole time. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, Le Mans is notorious for strange weather, and it's such a big track, eight and a half miles, that it could rain in one corner and be bone dry somewhere else. So you you, you agonise over the tyre choice. But in that first year, we had the car was was really good in the rain. All they're saying that it at, the, at some points there was like two inches of standing water, oh, wow. and um, I remember hitting that at 160 miles an hour. <laughs> And for must have been a quarter of a mile or longer, you know, the car was weightless. It felt weightless because all four tires were off the tarmac. So you've got no grip, no nothing. You have no, you know, the steering wheel doesn't respond. If you touch the brakes, that's, that's a mistake because when it lands, it's going to do all kinds of weird shapes. Um, and people were crashing left, right and center. I think they lost um, 12 cars in one lap or something. Wow. But, um, but we were quickest in those conditions and, and I managed to unlap our car, get onto the lead lap, start chasing down the leaders, um, got up to fourth and then the fuel pump broke. So uh. at four in the morning, I had a, a very long, wet walk through the mud, back through the trees. Um, but yeah, it's an amazing experience. And um, I think the best result of how we finished fourth when we could have won, but we had to keep changing turbos and the team just mm. worked their hearts out to give us an amazing, what for me was an amazing result because we knew we could have won the race, had the pace to do it. And um, that was my first finish. And wow. it was pretty emotional, 24 hours. It's a 24 hour race, but the team are working like that almost for six days yeah. to prep the car, turn it around for the next session because you're there. It's like, a, it's like speed week at Indy, you know, it's continuous strain, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really special place. It's a, it's amazing for spectators too, I think, cause there's so much to see the speeds are high. It's one of the oldest races in the world. It's, it's where kind of the heart of, you know, road racing sort of started until they, they closed off and made circuits. So uh, it's a special place. It's a beautiful locale. Tell me about the territory and, and what's compelling for you as a driver. Do you get to appreciate the beauty of where you're driving with these towns? I mean, you guys are going at massive, crazy speeds by these crowds gathered in these little towns. And it's just, there's nothing like it. It's so unique. Are you able to appreciate that? Or are you just sort of on the nose, just sort of following the car? So it sounds kind of mean, but you you obviously your only your main interest is is winning doing well being you know being on point um doing the job for the team and everything like that so um you're very focused on the business of it and uh there isn't you don't get much time to kind of see what else is going around you but <laughs> there are at Le Mans in particular there's a lot of really cool distractions so um distractions can be a big problem if you're racing you really only doing what you're doing but if you're once you're comfortable you do notice a great big Ferris wheel going around in the background. It's kind of hard not to. So there is that. And uh, I, th- I suppose two of the, the best memory or weirdest, I remember being on the Mole Sand Strait kind of doing some insane speed and just seeing this guy leering across the, the armco with an enormous stein of beer. They do these, the Germans have these like liter sized um, big, big things. And he was wearing a Viking helmet. So that was pretty cool. And then, um, in the morning, which is my favorite time at Le Mans, just as the light's just starting to break, so you can really pick out your apexes and stuff. The air's cold, so the engines get the oxygen they need to get that performance. And the rubber is down on the track, so the track is grippy. You get a good set of tires, and you think, right, okay, I'm gonna seriously get in a crazy lap time and try mm. and, and, and run, a, run, a, run a string of really fast laps. Um, and that's around the time people start waking up and they barbecue. So you get the, the smell of breakfast. So you can smell <laughs> bacon and sausage on the on the barbecues in the morning. It's super cool. Um, I just love all that because you are you just feel part of something much much bigger. Yeah. But 
to answer your question, you know, you do get to walk through the crowds and the, the qualifying and test sessions during the week. You get out to go and see what the crowd are up to and you, you see these huge um, fields full of tents and mm-hmm. people's inventions for transporting their beer and their food and stuff around it's pretty funny <laughs> are you able to get in a, a good sleep when you're not doing your shift have your races been in that capacity as far as getting the rest in you definitely lose out on sleep I mean, in build up to the race there is a tension so you don't sleep as well as you might do um, anyway but um, you know I'm, I'm good at catnapping so that's useful and you get into a little routine you know, get out of the car um, you know, whatever state you're in debrief eat shower go to bed and that works pretty well and um you know sometimes when you're sharing the car with less experienced drivers if you're if you're um, racing in pro-am uh, as soon as you hear any rain on the roof of the truck you're sleeping in i always wake up because mm-hmm. i i'd I don't like being woken in an emergency and, and usually they'll wake one of us up if it's if it's raining hard because um, if there's someone else in the team who's, who's not got that experience you're going to get a, a slap in the, the face <laughs> an espresso and get it get back in the car early there. Um, but that's what you're there for it's great and you you know it's 24 hours it's not going to kill you if you don't sleep but one of the weird and wonderful things is particularly if you when you're racing at night the center line on the Molsan is this white line and when you go close your eyes, um, your brain is is still running that footage. Mm-hmm. So you've got the this white line striping through your retina and you, in your um, the virtual world of your mind. Mm-hmm. So it's it's incredible how the brain works on these things. Yeah, and the espresso in France isn't too bad either. So it's not, it could be worse. Yeah, whatever the race truck has. <laughs> Do you have a best or perfect lap in your mind when you did Le Mans? Which which year was it? What race was it? What car was it? Do you have your favorite lap? Gosh. Um, I don't know, actually. I, I'm, I'm glad I've got to race in different categories and the, the most fun being LMP1 because I had the most grip and the most power. Um, but the last one I was at Le Mans was in 2014 and um, I think I got the fastest lap for Ferrari in the Pro-Am class. And that was fun because it was that favorite time in the morning. Uh, I just thought, right, let's, let's really let rip. And the Ferrari, the GTE, is really lively uh, at high speed, in the high speed cornering. So it's... Uh, the, the the main worry when you're um, pushing in these long stints is you're meant to do three stints so you've got to do that means and a stint is as long as it takes before the car runs out of fuel basically which is approximately an hour so three stints is three hours um but you're supposed to stay on the same tires for at least two if not ideally three of those stints and um if you have to change tires it adds like 12 seconds or so to your pit Mm. stop and you whatever great lap times you've been doing get wasted and uh, so the trick is if, if you push too hard and you uh, particularly at a braking where there's a lot of time to be had you lock a tyre get a flat spot and kill the wheel basically and um, because once you've braked too hard and shaved that piece of tyre off it's much more prone to lock up a second time and then you're in this horrible vicious circle and then you can't brake as late and your lap times deteriorate and you get a tap on the shoulder from the team manager um, but the worst thing that can happen is you actually have to come in because the, yeah. the tyre will wear away and eventually it can puncture and um, so that's a bad place to be so that is kind of the biggest fear you have is you push too hard lock up particularly like in your first run when the tyres are new and then you're like great I've just screwed the tyres for three hours so you're, you're stuck with that um, so that that's kind of what you're you're working towards but when everything's in the groove and you know where you are and um, you can hook these things together, yeah, it's a fantastic feeling because you've got those breaking points really down. Um, you believe in the grip and everything and you can make adjustments. And 
So the heavy breaking of those those chicanes, <clears throat> the Molsan Strait, and uh, at the end uh, end of the Molsan Molsan corner is a big commitment corner because you you're in a straight, but there's a kink in it, so you're breaking not in a straight line, which is always. Um, prone to causing trouble <laughs> there's a lot of marshals weighing in that gravel trap for people to get that wrong mm. um, and then you tilt out uh, onto the towards Indianapolis and then finally up on, into the Porsche curves where there's a um, a right left right left you know it's a sequence <laughs> of very very high speed encounters and with the tyres working really well it's like I say in the Ferrari it's really really lively there and it's um, it almost feels like um you could push the tail around with a feather when wow. it's when it's really on it, and so I do remember that particularly well. That feeling, um, yeah. And you you know you're on a good lap because you you have um your your revs. You can see the the full spread of the RPM on the dash, but on the steering wheel or just behind it, you have these LED lights that flick up. You get some um, you know uh, green, 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 yellow, yellow, red, red. Shows you exactly um, the the peak revs basically. And uh, in the best, in t- like the, the right gear, those revs are kind of buzzing and, and higher than you've seen it before. And you're like, wow, this is going to be quicker than the qualifying lap. And you get that feeling that um, this is going to be something really, really awesome. Yeah. For you anyway. Yeah, you're the only person in the world that probably cares. Um, but um, but that, that, in that moment, it, that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the nuance and the danger and the fear. We've had a couple of conversations in the past. And I know, you know, leading up to your prolific filming career, you had a bit of a, a bit of a wreck bit of an accident tell me how that changed the trajectory of your professional career yeah I had a big crash in Romania um, during qualifying I was racing an FIA GT and actually I'd, I'd ripped a wheel off in, in practice which wasn't too clever it's, it was a really bumpy street circuit so when you ran wide you ran straight into a concrete wall um, and uh, it was a really really rough track so I'd lost a load of practice time and I was keen to make amends in qualifying, which we did. And uh, the team did an amazing job. I was racing for Ascari, got pole position, check a flag, boom, in the bag. And it was kind of track where if you start from the front, you're going to win. So that was good. So um, I just eased off for a, a yellow flag. And um, unfortunately, the car behind didn't see the yellow and spun me around. I broke four ribs and a bone in my neck. And that was the end of that. Car was completely written off. I wasn't in a good way. I was lying flat on a um, stretcher. I don't remember getting out of the car. Uh, so I think I passed out during that phase. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that knocked me up and put me out of the the remainder of the season it was really it was really bad I would love to have won that race like you know we really the team deserved that and um, that was really rotten luck and I was curious to know I wonder how this will affect getting back into it because I hadn't had an accident of that magnitude although I'd had other crashes and uh, I don't want to sound trite but it didn't it didn't really bother me at all I got back for testing I love what I do and uh, I was just really so happy to be back um, <laughs> and able to get back in the car and, and just never really thought twice about it, just carried on. And, and in a way, it really wasn't my fault what had happened. It wasn't like I made yeah. some big mistake. It's just part and parcel of racing. And uh, ultimately, if you're pushing a high-performance car and you're in that environment, you will crash. And, um, you know, I, I think it's true of, of all sports. If you love what you're doing, the danger side of it, it does slip to the back of your mind. On the filming side, which has been great, it's a different type of fear. So you're more concerned about people around you because on set we've got, yeah, okay, maybe multiple cars, but then there's a load of um, the stunt crew who'll be placed around the set. And uh, so it's a different kind of adrenaline again it's more about not screwing up so you've got to get your set piece right there could be it could be a one-shot wonder that they've they've prepped or 
people have been standing around waiting for hours for this whole thing to be set up and now it's down to you to, to get it in the hole you know the one that really makes you pay attention is yeah when you've got stunt crew on their feet who are reacting to what you're doing and uh, you've got to be precise and and the, if the car's sliding around um, just becomes critical yeah it's a bit of a dance it is yeah but that's what rehearsals are for mm. and so we we take all that stuff really seriously and, and it's great and the professionalism in stunts has only advanced over the years and our forerunners f- from the Harold Lloyd days through to now hugely talented people mm. all those lessons have been learned and passed on generation to the next so you know it's an amazing industry and the, I think the history of, of um, stunts in Hollywood are just is pretty epic and it was amazing to see Brad Pitt give uh, Doff his cap at the awards um, I thought you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood loved that film so funny and his, his role in that summed up the life of a stunt of a stunt man and um what those guys do day to day out. I just drive the cars. But the stunt stunt guys and girls who um are doing this um you know, they do everything. They 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 do the fights, the fire, the jumps, the falls, take a load of hits. And um it's it's yeah, it is it's time it's time that they were recognized with uh, with things like the Oscars. So, so true, yeah. I mean I did a story with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, stunt crew and I know there's a couple Instagram and social media movements to get these guys recognized. And yeah, I hope those things go through because the work that they do, especially now in this ever evolving world of action and in the scale and the epicness, you know, for lack of a better word for some of these scenes you guys are putting together, it's just next level. Great Adventures is lucky to have partners that share our love for a good story like Whistlepig Whiskey. They're American rice perfected in the beautiful Vermont countryside. I've been to their farm, I've seen the process, and a lot of care goes into creating each glass. It's also the perfect nightcap after a day in the wild. Check them out on Instagram at Whistlepig Whiskey. Now we could go through your credits and, you know, the Stig and Top Gear and all those things and we could rattle off that. But I really want to dive a little bit deeper in the Bond world because we're coming to the wrap of Daniel Craig's uh, run as as James Bond and No Time to Die is the final sequence of that. Tell me about your introduction to that world. So um, from the Top Gear days... I, you know, advanced my work in um, in film and and work well, so working in television. I thought it's it was a brilliant experience working again more thoroughly with the camera teams, the creatives, and everything. And I just thought, well, look, if we're working with cameras, what, let's get in, you know, why not movies? At that time, there really weren't um, that many racing drive. Well, there weren't any people from the racing world um, working in film that I knew of, except for one guy who worked on Ronin, and I was well aware of that car chase. I that was, it was a great yeah. car chase. I watched that. I thought that's proper. That's good stuff. I mean, that is the sort of <laughs> kind of driving I probably have been doing um, on my in my own time <laughs> in your own BMW. Yeah, or, yeah, that's um, yeah. but but yeah, but getting paid. So. Um, <laughs> I thought, right, well, let's give it a shot. And I, I got in touch with um, a stunt coordinator called Gary Powell, who was working on the Bond movies at the time and had been uh, you know, an epic stuntman in his own right for many years. At the time, they were shooting Casino Royale, and I was too late to get onto that, but he, he very kindly put me in touch with some way. Well, he recommended me to someone else. So my first movie was National Treasure 2, doubling Nicolas Cage for a big car chase through London. Um, and then um, the next film was with Gary, which was Quantum of Solace. Um, so they had a very high-speed car chase, 
Aston Martin being chased at the time when we filmed it three three alphas which got cut down to two and we spent three months filming this um, this really crazy car chase in Italy um, at very high speed through like a canyon road um, next to Lake Garda uh, and very tight gaps you know, oncoming traffic uh, tunnels blacked out full, filled with smoke uh, over 100 miles an hour um, just amazing and that was when I really spent a lot of time with that car and the modern evolution of Aston Martin and its new guys and just a fantastic office to have for that amount of time really that's the opening car chase sequence right where there's all these flashes of the light coming through the tunnel and yeah. uh, the door comes off and yet yeah, tell me about building that sequence and driving that car and what that felt like yeah so it started so Gary sent me down to Dunsfold which is where we filmed Top Gear um, ironically and just said look go down there and drive it till it breaks <laughs> I was like okay so the idea Whoa, being what a fun assignment man That's it's a great, like, what a great a dream. job the idea that and quite rightly because they don't want to get let down by something they don't you know know or don't expect and um, and basically the car ran faultlessly it was incredible and it was such a different league to the I suppose the Aston Martin of the well the early 90s um, maybe they weren't quite as reliable this thing was absolutely bulletproof <clears throat> and I was just drifting it handbrake turning it speeding it around for hour after hour after hour mm. um, just putting it through its paces to see what would go and anything that went was the tyres so um, we had a really fantastic platform to get stuck into and then we did terrible things with it because um, in the film <laughs> it was banging wheels um, we did a, a sequence where um, he flipped it onto its side going past the JCB digger it got cut right. but basically they, you know, they wanted me to see if, if, if I could drive it into the rear wheel if that would flip it over I'm like <laughs> uh, I think it's just going to write the car off which it did but we, once we'd established that then, then we applied some science and used uh, one of those hydraulic rams that tips the car over so um yeah, it was it was pretty pretty awesome. You know, the build up for it was about at least like two three weeks of rehearsing. So we would measure out, you know, inch perfect the the routes we were going to take, cone those areas off on an airfield, and then basically rehearse the the choreography to get that honed in, which is a great way to do it. So even though okay, it's not the same as being there, but mm -hmm. you've you've got a much better idea of timings, and you can, particularly some of the really gnarly oncoming pieces where on, on Skyforce I've skipped onto the next movie and um, we had um, a, you know the Land Rover kind of going underneath a tipping truck that's got to be so precise so we were able to do that on a stopwatch and you can really micro adjust your, your positions and and that's the best way to get it and you can replicate so closely then, then when you go to the real location you're, you're way ahead of just trying something and seeing what happens you remove a lot of the risk so yeah let's talk about Skyfall now you know getting that script and, and seeing that car chase involved in that and or at least just getting notes of the scenes and saying this is the car we're driving you know what was your first impression of that scene and and working with that vehicle well first impression so um one of my very good friends from from the ascari race days um i managed to suggest that he get involved with quantum of solace so he was running the the, the vehicles on skyfall neil layton um who's a great guy and um <laughs> I just laughed because I was driving Land Rover and uh, I thought, yeah, he's, and not just driving a Land Rover, but also on the, from the roof. So we have these pod cars. We right. So top. they could see the actor in the, in the proper seat, right? Yeah. Yeah. As I kind of learned what the vehicles were, who's driving what. Someone just laughed and said, good luck with that because <laughs> the thing's just going to tip over. So I phoned Neil and said, uh, yeah, this is going to just tip over, isn't it? And he said, yeah, yeah, it will. So, okay, right. Do you have a plan? Yes. Yeah, we've got a plan. So, okay. So he wouldn't tell me what the plan was, but he had one. 
and so they very cleverly widened the track of the Land Rover. They had um, basic extenders on the wheel hubs, and they used a lower profile tire um, with a wider rim, and you know significantly mm. um, enhanced the cornering stability of that of the car, so that it was not going to tip over. Basically, <laughs> however, there were times when the camera could see the wheels, and we had to put the real things on, and then you were kind of tiptoeing around because you had to. Be, you did have to be quite careful mm-hmm. not to overextend yourself and um, and flick the thing on its roof, which would be bad for everybody. Um, <laughs> So yeah, in that scenario, we had um, actually Money Penny was driving, right. so um, we had a lot of fun working with Naomi to get her in training, and I think she enjoyed it too. So she was speeding around in the Land Rover for the for the shots she was doing, and for the the really high speed stuff, that's where we used the pod system to. That's where she's chasing the train, right? And he's doing the fight on yeah, the train. Yeah, that's it. So DC's having a big battle on the roof of the train. Money Penny's racing in. Um, so we had a lot of lot of. Uh, mud spraying and all that kind of stuff um, in the process of that but yeah really cool that was in filmed in Turkey so we were out there for quite a long time shooting that but you know there are those other other great pieces a lot of fun in London as well we did a bit with um, Bond's Get, is taking M away from London at high speed in a Jaguar mm. so there was a oh, nice right. nice little piece there and driving the DB5 the, the original car which is just epic and it's such an amazing I don't know it's like a character it's such a cool car yeah um, tell me about getting in that for the first time they smell amazing it's just this sort of <laughs> mix of leather wood and oil uh, they're really comfortable so it's sort of like um, it's more like a this is not to uh, mistreat the handling it doesn't handle like a boat, but it feels like one in a way. You've got the big steering wheel, kind of mm-hmm. yacht-like, very comfortable leather chair, and everything's just sort of in its own time. There isn't a huge amount of power. For the day, back in the day, the DB5 was like a, a supercar. Um, by modern standards, it's pretty relaxed. So <laughs> um, the brakes, you know, they do work. Um, it's just not as aggressive as what we're now used to um, if, you, if you step on a brake pedal. But it's just a fantastic beast. And, you know, although the steering is, is gentle, it's very, it is accurate. And very quickly, just fell in love with it, you know. I just felt... Um, a little bit of a coward I didn't dare press the red button on the gear stick <laughs> I've been around films too long uh, to, to make that mistake and uh, blow up something the SFX team have, have snuck in there so um, I avoided that yeah absolutely you know tell me about how much time you get with some of these vehicles do you get the proper amount of time you know, take us through some of those other scenes and, and how much lead time you get when it comes to the Jaguar or the, or the DB perhaps yeah, so actually with the Jag piece in that film, we didn't, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if that's been a change, there are always script changes and um, it wasn't something that we really needed to rehearse. I know that sounds, that sounds kind of blasé, but it was fairly clear cut. We had a control of the streets and, um, you know, actually it was the first time I got hold of that car was on the day. I think if I might get this right, I think it was a diesel automatic. So no clutch, Whoa. no handbrake to yank it sideways and um, so limited tools to try and get it to, to slide and they wanted it to slide and look cool but fortunately you know um, found a route through the corner that just about managed to do that <laughs> um, so everybody was happy with that um, versus other sequences where we'll spend weeks you know doing one thing so mm-hmm. worked on Doctor Strange um, crashing a Lamborghini because uh, Doctor Strange was very naughtily texting while driving which is <laughs> dangerous big no no yeah and he clips a truck and sends himself around so that the director was like this has to be absolutely precise and he didn't just want it to hit this telegraph pole he wanted it at exactly this particular angle so we rehearsed that to death with a cone you know and it, it's 
it's quite fluid at a high speed you know throwing th- something sideways on a handbrake it's okay yes you can be accurate but it, it, he was really really on the nail they had a very specific camera angle and if the car didn't hit that exact angle at exactly the right time it was going to screw up the shot so no pressure um, <laughs> so that was the one we rehearsed and um, we had a breakaway telegraph pole um, and and I'm glad to say that the you know the rehearsals played out really well. We hit it on the on the nail, so that was pretty cool. And it was quite I, I really enjoyed it in the movie. It's a, it, you really feel it. So that was an interesting mix of um, practical, i.e., real world. So we slid the car into the pole, big crash, mixed with um, special effects. So after it hit the pole, they then had a rig because I didn't want to if they did the next part, which is where the car. <laughs> spins off of a cliff it would have killed me um, so they had um, an effect rig that yanked it on a cable and then a bit of VFX on the actual crash as it set fire so all three parts all three elements played a part in making that work over the course of the Bond films Daniel's done a great job building this character and bringing the physicality to it and the driving everything just seems everything seems heavier and grittier do you get that essence on set obviously your interactions I'm sure are few and far between because he's doing his work but you know have you been able to talk to him about the cars and or at least watch him drive behind the wheel a few times yeah my the first one I did <clears throat> we spent a long time with Daniel he loves driving and so um and that's a great start because then it's you know it's a pleasure any, any anything he involved with him with his with his training and so on he takes very seriously and it's an absolute pleasure so um yeah he got very stuck into that um we did a whole a whole load of different types of driving the high speed and all the evasive driving pieces sort of handbrake turning and drifting the car around which I think he loved <laughs> um, so that was dead cool and um, and I, I'm a huge fan I love watching the, the movies I think he's got such a great presence on screen and everything I can't wait to see the new movie um, I only know the little bits that I've worked on but um, from what I've heard and what I've seen I think this will I, I just get the impression it's going to take it to the next level I think um, they've gone for a, a really cool style the way they filmed it so um, yeah I'm somewhat in the dark on most of it which is great so I'll be like everybody else in the audience um, <laughs> waiting to see what happens um, but I think you know his, his, he's brought something really special to the, to the series and um, I think that they kind of live in their own right they're so different to the films from before but very much um, in line with the, what you'd expect from the Bond heritage so it's going to be a hard act to follow What do you think of Spectre? I really enjoyed it and I love um, Blofeld. I've got his name now. The act, the amazing actor that plays Blofeld, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz, yeah. yes, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of him. I think he's brilliant, and uh, so I'm delighted that he reappears <laughs> in this movie. Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I only did a tiny bit of driving on that film. I was away for most of that, and um, but I did get to do the end scene, which was cool. So, um, so yeah, so I can say that I worked on the last four films. So I got to drive the DB5 again and did a little bit of the work in in Austria. But I really enjoyed it. So the, the car chase I didn't work on was the one in Rome um, with the Jag and the Aston um, but my friends from the you know there's a team of us that do the driving and um, I really you know I got to sit again sit back and watch that one from the comfort of the yeah. spectator through the whole uh, waterway right through yeah. The, yeah he goes into the river super cool um, I felt for them because you could tell that it was all shot at night which is always <laughs> brutal night shoots um, and actually it's harder to gauge the speeds at, mm. at night um, on, you know it's really hard to get that across on camera but it was clearly a really brutal um, car chase 
love the part where they where they skate down the steps kind of remind me of the the 1980s movies like View to a Kill things like that so uh, I love the gadgetry with the flamethrowers you've got to have a bit of flame action <laughs> you know it's uh, it's pretty cool I was visiting Aston Martin recently and they're doing a limited run of 25 DB5s and they've actually they're kitting them out with all the gadgets so they're oh, no. not flamethrowers but <laughs> like I think it's a something like an oil slick, bulletproof uh, screen, oh, um, smoke screens, all this sort of mad stuff, and little machine guns coming out the front, which I assume. I gotta take a tour around one of those, man. That'd be nice. Yeah, we'll have to say, say but maybe we can get a timeshare on one yeah, of those. Exactly, do a timeshare. Absolutely. You know, no time to die. We know. You know, they have the Defender, the new Defender in there. What can you tell us about the kinds of vehicles or the kinds of chases? I mean, from what I hear, it's gonna be. It's going to be harder. Everything's going to be notched up a peg. I don't think I can tell you anything. Right, well, I even have to kill you. the essence. Um, but um, the way that they promote the movies, there's so much coming out in the, the trailers. The trailers. Yeah. So what I've seen so far, they've shown some great stuff from what we filmed in Italy, Matera. So you get an idea for that, and it's a pretty punchy car chase. This is different, this car. It, it, it is the DB5, but it's the stunt version. So at the moment, until the film comes out, I can't really say too much, but it's um, it, it really takes the stunt capability to the, to the next level. I just spent a, a week filming a commercial actually that will come out soon with that vehicle so we got to know that really really well I've got to say it's absolutely stunning I mean they've it looks identical to the original 1964 car DB5 but it's really different <laughs> because it weighs less it's got more power and, and more capability so um, that definitely comes out on screen and looks wonderful so um, that's pretty exciting um, again, we had a you know big team working on this one, and so Lee now is the stunt coordinator for for Bond. And Lee Morrison, he's an absolutely amazing guy, and like super creative, um, really brilliant to work with, like his great sense of humour, <laughs> um, and uh, you know horrifically talented bloke. I mean, yeah. on bikes, cars, all that stuff. So he knows exactly what it means to be in the hot seat and he put together this amazing chase so it was just brilliant working for him what do you think when you guys found out you were driving the, the stunt DB5 in that location it's pretty gnarly uh, they were worried about the surface because it was um, it's, it's this amazing place it's like well it's been lived in by people I think for several thousand years <laughs> the bit we were filming in I guess is more well I wouldn't use the word modern it looks the, the stones look so polished it looks like you know cavemen were dragging their uh, their fruit along it um, many years ago or millennia ago so it's it's basically a, a polished cobbled street and as a result the, the grip level is extremely low um, if you put water on it it's it's the closest thing I can liken it to would be like driving on ice um, so it took a lot of preparation to kind of get the cars to a point where they would handle remotely you know and even then the, the sensation across a cobbled street you know when the wheels are shaking that bit you never quite know when the wheel is in contact with the ground and without that you don't have the grip so there was a kind of vague feeling to what was going on but um, but it works you know Lee had some great ideas to get around that and um, quite innovative and um, and ultimately the speeds were right because you, you can't have a slow car chase in a bomb movie so um, <laughs> they got around all of those problems and uh, and you know it worked out really well Did you get to get behind the wheel of the Defender and check that out at all? not in this film sadly I missed the end there's a, another sequence in there so no but I did get to drive one out um, on this commercial and yeah the new Defenders it's a lot of fun actually it's a they've paid their respects to the original car I've got a 98 um, Defender I've got an ex-army oh, uh, Wolf Spec 90 which I love it doesn't beep or bong or do anything like that it's <laughs> super um, analogue 
and um, it doffs its cap to the past but it's a very modern car mm. um, and yeah I think uh, it's good watching it go through its paces people enjoy watching it being hammered I got to see the stunt vehicle recently in California one of the ones that were left over and it's it's got some nicks it's yeah. got some dents it's seen some trauma so I'm excited they can take a beating I did a Range Rover thing the Range Rover Sport Um, we drove it down the Schilthorn Mountain down this 15 kilometer and just beat the hell out of this car in in the build up to it was saying you know guys I think we need to put like some steel plate underneath it and do this do that and they said no we don't need that I was like okay I think we do and we had a big argument not a big argument but you know a friendly debate right. uh, saying oh, come on let's let's just he said look test the car and then you'll see what we mean and they were right you know took it down this um, really knobbly road and at very high speed where I thought the suspension would um, you know absorb one bump and then crash into the ground and take the sump of the engine out but it had self-adjusting suspension and it just wouldn't allow it it was incredible the car was working <laughs> sort of 10 times a second to yeah. manipulate how it's balanced on that road and it took it so I think um, a lot of that tech is in the new Defender as well and you know that's how it seems to survive the yeah they're great adventure vehicles man they're they're perfect yeah. uh, I can't wait to see the rest of those scenes so I wrap this thing up with two questions if I hand you a plane ticket and you could go anywhere in the world and drive any road where would you go and what road would you drive well I love New York, so um, I guess if it was the streets were closed, maybe three in the morning, this would be a great place to start. I've done it once. I remember I woke up, it must have been 4 a.m. to get a drive out of New York, and there was nobody on the roads in all greens, and there, I have to say there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. The only problem, I think, is that I would be joined by other people, probably <laughs> in blue and white cars with red <laughs> lights on the top, pretty quickly, if I was driving the way I would want to. <laughs> true, true, true. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, yeah, what roads, gosh, in the Alps, there's, well, I drove on the Fluella Pass, that's pretty spectacular, and... Um, I was lucky because we had a helicopter filming and spotting and they could tell me when the when the corners were clear for overtaking and doing all that stuff oh, so wow. we we had some police permissions to go really fast <laughs> and I had a Mercedes um, AMG Black Series I think it, I always get these numbers wrong but I think it was the CLK CLK yeah. Super low V8 engine with automatic gearbox, all that stuff. Uh, it's just so much fun, just going nuts <laughs> around, the, around the mountain roads. Um, That's a once in a lifetime experience, right there. It really was, you know, um, that was pretty epic and hard to top because yeah. we, we, we really had the freedom of the mountain for that. And the last question is when I say the perfect sunset, for you, I'm phrasing it through maybe through the windshield. Where is that? Well, maybe it's PCH um, I just spent a lot of time doing lots of different films and um, it takes my breath away and, and you know when you finish a good day and the sun goes down that's always satisfying thanks for coming on Ben appreciate it absolute pleasure thank you thanks for listening guys if you like what you heard hit 